I'm Rob Duncan, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I am joined by the very talented Robert Duncan today. Thanks for joining us, Robert. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm great. Sunny morning in Los Angeles. Yeah, and I'm very jealous. <laughs> so let's go right back to the beginning. How did your journey into music composition begin? Well, um, I went to a school for the performing arts as a kid, and we did some experimental compositions with using pianos in creative ways, not using the keys. And uh, I think I, I grew up surrounded by music. My grandparents were both musicians, and there was always a piano around the house. I didn't always practice what I was meant to be practicing. <laughs> but uh, but music always surrounded my life. I um, uh, would like to teach myself to play the TV show themes that I watched. And um, in high school, I went through this, I want to be a rock star phase that didn't last. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I uh, discovered I perhaps was better suited behind the scenes. I, I liked making things that were uh, sounds that were evocative or, or triggered emotions, but uh, I usually got a bit stuck on the lyrics and ended up making a lot of music without lyrics. Right. Uh, then got my first job in high school writing some music for a board of education video. Oh, cool. And then decided I would pursue it at university. And then after university, I apprenticed with two composers in Canada that really opened my eyes and they showed me the ropes. And, uh, after about five years of that moved to Los Angeles and I would say my big break in Los Angeles uh, would have been uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was the first full series that I did on my own and uh, was a uh, real sort of baptism by fire. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, it's quite a big one to take up straight away. But, you know, what was really great was, in retrospect, I'm glad my first big show didn't start with a pilot because pilots are at least two or three times more chaotic and crazy because everybody's trying to figure out what the identity of the show. Buffy, you couldn't ask for a more established, celebrated uh, groove to fit into. So I basically just tried to hit the ground running and keep up with everybody else, and uh, it worked out really well. And then as soon as I finished Buffy, I went on to do a pilot, uh, True Calling for Fox, and that, then I got a taste of of what uh, pilots are all about. <laughs> Excellent. Now, with the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, it was the final season that you were taken on for, right? It was. So no pressure, but you <laughs> had to end the whole epic storyline with your music. That's true. That's true. Um, we didn't know whether it would be the final season at the time. And I suppose there were some rumors as to whether or not the stars wanted to move on or, or stick with the show, but... Um, but it, no, it was it was really great. Yeah, I played the final chord over the final scene, and that, that's quite an honor, I think. Yeah, I think it's such a big moment. It must have been amazing for one of your first big gigs to to be able to polish something off so nicely. Definitely, thank you. And how did you fit? You say you fit into that groove. How did you pick up the the feeling of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Had you been watching it up until then, or did you have to rewatch some of the old stuff? You know, I was aware of the show, but I don't I can't say that I understood the show until I started working on it. I didn't realize how much of a clever comedy, how much it poked fun at its own genre. It was it was smarter than honestly than I thought it was originally. Um there's so many layers to Buffy, and I think that's part of the key to its 
connection with the fans. There's there's the whole coming of age high school. There's also fantastic love stories, and there's a lot of very funny comedy all set against this expansive mythological universe, which uh, just a, makes for a great, rich entertainment. Yeah, I mean, it's one of Joss's key uh, skills, isn't it? He's known for having so many different layers within one thing. Mm. So is there anything so far that's been your biggest challenge so far as a composer? Uh, every every project is a unique challenge. Um, overall, I would say the biggest challenge of, of doing what I do is is really just finding a way to balance my life a little. Uh, it's so it's so easy for things to never be finished or to make them better or to, you know, I generally use up every second of time before a deadline. And yeah, uh, so that, that's been the, the, the biggest challenge project by project. When I was working on castle as the slightly unfortunate trend in TV themes, uh, a lot of shows have about five seconds of a TV of a, of a theme. Yeah. So I have to compose a five second theme. And uh, for castle, they gave me one directive and that was swagger. And I oh, went, awesome. uh, okay, I have five seconds of swagger. Where should I start? <laughs> and, uh, started with, uh, sort of a, a hip hop kind of beat that didn't, that didn't fly with them. Then I tried something else and I tried something else. And five versions later, they said, okay, I think you've nailed swagger. And now we realize we don't want swagger. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back and, and, worked 12 versions of three bars of music. Uh, there was one version where they said, we don't want to hear any, um, uh, any, any other instruments. Just sit down at the piano and come up with a hook, you know, for three bars. And I sat at my piano. It's probably the only day that I've ever really had writer's block, I think, was that, that, that one day where I felt, you know, none of the – I couldn't write three bars of music that day. <laughs> um, but it's almost so much pressure, isn't it, on so little that it – <laughs> it's, yeah it, it felt like uh i don't know trying to paint on a pinhead or something it just was <laughs> yeah. it was an interesting challenge for sure but uh what i love about my job is that every project feels like a fresh world and not only the the movie or the tv show itself but the people that i work with i mean i have a lot of wonderful repeat collaborators who i i get to know their sensibilities and Often I work with new people, and it's a it, there's some detective work figuring out what does good music mean to them. I mean, what yeah. are their? Some people have musical allergies. Some people have a aversion to guitars or high strings or or uh, something that's very percussive. You know, I think yeah. sometimes a uh, a scene can be served with uh, mostly percussion. Um, at, you know, if it's the if it's the right fit. Uh, other people will say, well, that feels half-baked. It feels like we're missing three layers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Some people feel that scores should be very agile and gymnastic and, and move around and comment at every, every turn. Other people feel that that's not sophisticated and that scores should uh, lay back and, and let, the, let the rhythm of the dialogue and the cutting stand on its own and provide an atmosphere to, to, to wrap around the picture and story so every project is a challenge to assess the the landscape the tastes and then come up with a palette and uh 
Is it going to be melodic? Is it not going to be melodic? Um, it's wonderful riddle solving and one of the most satisfying things about doing what I do. Yeah, and it it's quite a bizarre process because, I mean, it's, you're designing something that's subjective. You know, music is one of those things where you write it, but it depends on the person, the person's current mood, and loads of things about how they're going to interpret it. Mm-hmm. So it must be insanely hard when trying to write something for a show that's going to go out to millions of people and try and come up with the sound that the directors want, as well as, you know, appealing to the to the masses, I suppose. It's, it's I think, only really achieved for me with some trial and error and, and sort of, I sometimes feel like a, a, a mad scientist in my own taking my own uh, formulas, you know, and seeing, does yeah. this make me cry? Does it, does it make me have a goosebump or a chill up my spine? And if, if it does that to me, then I'll try it out on, um, you know, I'm, I'm the, the guinea pig. <laughs> uh, and then we'll see if it has that same effect on the producers. And if, if we all agree, then hopefully there'll be enough people that, that feel that emotion in the audience. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of ties nicely into my next question. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice in the beginning that you've learned throughout your career, what would it be? Hmm. Um, well, basically, uh, like like you were saying, music is subjective. Some people will will hear value in in music where other people it'll just fall on deaf ears. Yeah. Um, I think I would just encourage myself that to make a mental scrapbook of those moments starting out when you did come across somebody who heard value in your voice and encouraged you for, in, in my case, you know, there was a, a, you know, teacher at school that, um, a choir teacher heard a piece that I wrote and, and told me, uh, never stop writing music ever. Oh, brilliant. And sort of out of the blue. And I was just a, awkward high school kid holding a ghetto blaster on stage <laughs> for the high school music night. And I never forgot, you know, that he, that encouragement. Um, and then, uh, that, you know, follows through all the way to the recent Emmy nomination. It never gets tired, um, to, to be appreciated or to, to realize that something that you did connected with somebody else. So I would just, uh, keep that scrapbook precious because there's a lot of, there's a lot of times when, you know, every, all creators get their work rejected and it's just a matter of sailing through that until we find that connection. Yeah, of course. Now let's talk about that Emmy nomination. That's for your music on The Whispers. I mean, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you very much. I'm especially thrilled that it's in the, the uh, main title uh, category. Uh, it's my first nomination in that category. And uh, that category almost went away a few years. There was a, a big vote as to whether it was a superfluous uh, um, category. And oh, wow. uh, uh, luckily it stayed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good job it did, isn't it? <laughs> mm. So what was it about The Whispers' main theme that you think made it so special? Uh, well, when I started working on that theme, I was trying to find a voice for the kids in the show and this malevolent alien presence that was uh, their invisible friends. And so I was, I was trying to find tones and melodies that would be innocent and, and sweet and then, and then uh, juxtapose that against something that's very uh, gritty and nasty. Yeah. So the end result was uh, sort of lullaby 
set against uh, everything I could possibly throw through my distortion pedals. <laughs> uh, electric cello and all kinds of just mangled sonic junk that um, whatever I could find. Um, and uh, it's not very long. I think the other entrants in uh, the other nominees in the category have longer main titles. Some of them, some of the cable shows have main titles that are over a minute and this is only 30 seconds. So my hope is that 30 seconds was long enough to make a memorable melody. Well, it was obviously uh, memorable enough to get nominated. So it must mm. be pretty good. No, thank you. So you've composed for a lot of projects now, right? So what would you like to compose for that you haven't written for already? Genre-wise or style-wise? Well, I would love to work on period pieces. I think that's... Uh, and, and well, actually, now I'm about to. I, with uh, this show that I'm working on in a few weeks is called Timeless on NBC. Oh, and yes. it's a time travel series. Um, so I'll get to... Uh, cross that off uh, sort of a new period every week i guess i was gonna say yeah i suppose that counts as a period because uh, you'll be going through different ones <laughs> um but uh, i also not long ago did an animated feature that's uh not being released yet and that was so much fun uh talking about um richness and density it allowed so much music and I, I don't know what it is about animation that it just uh it absorbs more music i think uh, the music is entertaining um has a mandate to entertain i think yeah more intensely than say a more contemporary drama um and i had a blast uh at abbey road with choir and orchestra and uh i could i would love to do more of those um more feature films um, and uh, I'm, like I said, greatly looking forward to Timeless. I think that's going to be a real ride. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a bit about Timeless. I mean, how, how much have you had to go on so far? I mean, I think there's only one episode out at the moment. We've done the pilot. Yeah. And uh, that, was, uh, that was great. It was um, set at the time of the Hindenburg and uh, sort of revolves around the, the landing of, of, of the Hindenburg. um, what's interesting is people uh, often ask if I'm writing music from all the different eras like if we go to the 20s am I writing 20s music and so far the answer to that seems to be that the score is the thread through the whole episode it doesn't necessarily fluctuate with the time it ties everything together and so far we're using more source music or songs as they enter a restaurant or a bar or um, just um, environmental music to convey the, to establish the time period and, and score is an interesting uh, connector. It unifies the, the whole show a little bit and stays more contemporary. Yeah. Awesome. It sounds like it's going to be good because the score will be a nice anchor to, to everything. And then you'll have the diegetic music to carry the, time side of things along exactly awesome now there are many aspiring composers out there and it's it's one of the highest competitive fields right you know there's quite a lot of people who want to make it in writing music so is there anything that you would say to people beginning their career 
in music to help them stand out from the crowd? Um, I mean, I think it's a it's a lifelong process to to continue to to find your voice and sort of discover your strengths and weaknesses. That which sort of makes up your your musical personality and your style. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of advice, uh, my advice is really just to get to get into the environment where if it's, if it's in terms of breaking in and, and I, uh, I, I highly suggest the, uh, assisting route. Um, it was a sort of pie in the, in the sky dream for me to write music for a living. Uh, but I didn't know what that looked like until yeah. I started working for another composer. And then I saw, okay, this is what he does when he drinks his coffee in the morning. And, he, you know, <laughs> just, seeing him flip through the trades and just see how he organizes his music. And, and, uh, uh, it's, I think that school education is great. Um, university sort of blew the hinges off my definition of art for me, which I will always be appreciative for. But then in terms of real world skill, having a mentor, I think is, is wonderful. Um, and, uh, you know, back when I started, I, when I was working some non-musical jobs. I, uh, I drew a line at one point and said, I'm going to quit this job and this is going to be my last non-musical job. Everything else from this point forward is I'm either going to make it or starve. Uh, <laughs> it's got to have something to do with music. Obviously, I'm not thinking that I'm going to just walk into a big feature film, but I'll just put myself in the environment. You know, um, and in that way, I uh, bet my survival instincts on on moving forward, uh, and I think that was key for me. Yeah, I mean, it definitely worked out. Just to commit. Yeah, I mean, just out of curiosity, if I can ask, what was your last non-musical job? My last non-musical job was uh, bellhop. <laughs> oh, nice. So I have a fun question to finish off with now. A nice, easy one. Well, sometimes. If you could have a drink with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, um, one of my musical heroes is Peter Gabriel, but now that you said alive and dead, that really sort of makes it quite profound. I don't know. I probably wouldn't want to turn up the, turn away the opportunity to have a drink with Gandhi or the Dalai Lama or, yeah. <laughs> or Mozart. I don't know. Opens up a lot of options then, doesn't it, when it goes into the uh, alive or dead category? <laughs> yeah. but probably uh, in the in the live category, it'd probably be Peter Gabriel. He's sort of influenced my um, musical mind since being a kid. Yeah, he's definitely one of those unique songwriters, isn't he? He's definitely got that different way of thinking about music. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you today, Robert. Thanks for joining us. And Thank you. Hopefully we look forward to hearing more of you on Timeless very soon. Wonderful. Awesome. That was brilliant. Thanks, Robert. All right. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Sound Architect podcast. We really appreciate that. And we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Dehumanizer 2 by the guys at Krotos. Fantastic piece of software. And we hope that you join us again soon.